The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is John 3:16 and John 17 verses 1 to 3. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Seventeen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. We are in our 40th and final week in the Gospel of John, which has been a long journey. We've spent really the last month uh, kind of focusing on a few different themes throughout the Gospel of John that we're wanting to pull out. And uh, we're going to do the same thing this morning. And in preparation for the sermon this morning, uh, I stumbled across some staggering statistics uh, from the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services that were only confirmed by the World Health Organization. Um, here you go. The current death rate globally is 100%. We all, as human beings, it seems, have a terminal disease called mortality, which means unless Christ returns soon, you're going to die. Like, you will die. It's a sobering reality that we don't give much thought to. But in light of this reality, this reality that we will all face, this morning's sermon may be one of the most essential sermons that you will hear in your lifetime. Now, let me be clear. I didn't say one of the best sermons you're going to hear in your lifetime. But one of the most essential sermons because it has the potential to impact your legacy and your eternal destiny. The Puritans were often known to describe the gospel as a multifaceted diamond. Like a diamond, the gospel has many sides that create a glimmer or a sparkle with the slightest rotation in any direction. You can take the gospel and you can kind of twist it and see different, uh, different aspects of the gospel, such as justification or forgiveness of sins or adoption into God's family or regeneration. There's a number of different things that we can do. And, and like diamonds, uh, diamonds are associated with beauty, right? When you see a diamond, uh, you oftentimes will stare at them, study them, admire them. And in some ways, the gospel should be treated in the exact same way. As we meditate on and admire the gospel, we gain insight into these, these facets of the gospel. And perhaps the most significant facet of the gospel is what we see emphasized 
throughout the gospel of John in Jesus's teachings. You would be hard pressed to persuade me from believing that the most significant implication of the gospel for you and I in light of Jesus's teachings in John's writing is anything but the promised hope of eternal life. So that's the theme that we're going to discuss this morning, eternal life. Consider with me the most popular verse in John's gospel, which we just heard read, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but rather have eternal life. And when John explicitly tells us his purpose in writing the gospel, which he does in John 20, it says this, now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The word life in John 20 is not the Greek word bios, where we get biology. It's the word zoe, which is associated with eternal Life, a genuine life with God that can start in this world and carry forward into eternity. John wants us to consider, contemplate, and care about eternal life. And John wants followers of Jesus to have confidence when it comes to eternal life. So that's what I aim to help us do this morning, is to consider eternal life. And I want to do so by looking at three things. The intrigue of eternal life, the invitation of eternal life, and the implication of eternal life. Alliterations are impressive. When you do them with the letter I, it's even, it's even more impressive. So that's what we're going to talk about, these three I's. Let's start by talking about the intrigue of eternal life. I think one of the reasons why we don't give much thought to eternal life is that we lack a good biblical understanding of the new heavens and the new earth. One of my earliest childhood memories when I, when I would think about or my understanding of eternal life was this picture I got maybe from TV, maybe from movies or the way that families just talked about things uh, around a funeral. But it was this vision that eternal life is where you sit uh, on a cloud fairly high up with a decent view of the world and you just kind of sit there forever, which doesn't sound that appealing or attractive, especially if you don't like heights like me. That just sounds terrible. Um, my, my imagination on what eternal life was began to morph and kind of adapt. And I remember probably being 10, 11, 12 years old and having this idea of what eternal life was. And it was this vision of, uh, imagine just kind of an open field at the foot of the mountains, right? So the mountains are the backdrop and, and off to one side, you had uh, a pristine baseball diamond with a grass infield and like perfectly chalked lines. Josh, you know what I'm talking about. And then in the middle, you had this, this football field that was just full, full length side. And then on the other side, this basketball court, which had glass backboards and those nets that were like red, white, and blue. And I was the only one there. Like it was wonderful. The inner introvert in me was already beginning to take shape. But this, this was my imagination, right, of what eternal 
life was like. Both of these impressions of eternal life were rooted in my imagination, and they lacked a biblical foundation to them. Which begs the question, what does the Bible have to tell us about eternal life? What is life like with God after death? Well, let's start with what it is not. Again, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 5, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Eternal life, apart from God's presence and his miraculous grace, is a place of judgment and perishing where the wrath of God remains. It's an existence where our selfishness and the consequences of our selfishness are exponentially increased for eternity. And that's radically different than what the scriptures inform the new heavens and new earth to be like. John 17, verses 1 through 3, in the high priestly prayer, says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Throughout the gospel of John, eternal life is a quality of life before it is a quantity of life. Eternal life is a quality of life before it is a quantity of life. Eternal life is defined as knowing God and his son, a shared life of intimacy with the Godhead. It has a earthly entry point in it, but it can be experienced now and carries forward into the everlasting, ever-blessed life of the age to come. And what's that life look like? Randy Alcorn, in his book entitled Heaven, uses his biblically informed imagination to create a glimpse of what life is after death. Listen to this extended quote, and I want to invite you to allow your imagination to kind of breathe it in and allow your soul to be intrigued by this vision. He says, so look out a window, take a walk, talk with your friend, use your God-given skills to paint or draw, or build a shed, or write a book. But imagine it, all of it, in its original condition. The happy dog with the wagging tail, not the snarling beast, beaten and starved. The flowers, unwilted. The grass, undying. The blue sky, without pollution. People smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, and empty. Close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've ever been, complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. Think of friends or family members who loved Jesus and are with him now. 
Picture them with you, walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You are laughing, playing, talking, reminiscing. You reach up to a tree and you pick an apple or orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. Now you see someone coming toward you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall on your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you. At last, you're with the person you were made for in the place you were made to be. Everywhere you go there will be new people and places to enjoy, new things to discover. What's that you smell? A feast, a party is ahead, and you're invited. There's exploration and work to be done, and you can't wait to get started. That vision sings, doesn't it? Randy Alcorn notes that he has a biblical basis for all of these statements and many more. This is a biblically rooted picture of the quality and quantity of eternal life. And it's a vision that's intriguing. I'm also reminded of how the great author and theologian C.S. Lewis uh, described eternal life uh, in the very last paragraph of the very last book that he wrote in his series entitled The Chronicles of Narnia. In the last paragraph, after the final battle, he says this, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The intrigue of eternal life. Perhaps one of the greatest faults to our discipleship uh, in the Western modern world is that we are so healthy, our lives are so vibrant and stable, that really when we look at the gospel, we look at it to receive the implications for how it helps us to live life to the fullest right now, in this place. Like, how does the guy's gospel meet me right now? So much so that, that we don't spend much time thinking about eternity. Man, there are other places in the world. There are people here in this room who've experienced pain, suffering, loss, where this is front of mind. And we're invited to be intrigued by eternal life and to be pulled forward by the promise of eternal life. How would that round out our discipleship? Friends, I want to give you permission to be intrigued by both the quality and the quantity of eternal life, a life of ever-increasing joy and knowledge and adventure and communion that you're invited into now. So having considered the intrigue of eternal life, let's turn our attention to the invitation of eternal life. One of my favorite current authors right now that I'm reading is a, a, a Dutch Catholic priest and theologian, uh, Henry Nouwen. And I'm reading his book that he had written, Life of the Beloved. This book was written, uh, Henry Nouwen was asked by a secular journalist friend to write a book explaining the spiritual life in terms that he and his friends could understand. And he starts that book by saying, all I want to say to you is this, you are the beloved. 
And the premise of the book is that if that idea, if that statement resonates in your soul, that you are the beloved, lean into it. Seek after its truth. And eventually you'll find yourself at Jesus. See, for those of you who have more of a secular worldview, who are not Christians, you're not surrendered to Jesus, but you are intrigued by this vision, this idea of eternal life. If there's something in this idea of eternal life that really resonates with your soul and you long for this hope after death, lean into that longing. Seek after what is true, and eventually you'll find yourself at the feet of the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right, is this not true of the woman at the well in John 4? Right, this woman who was um, a social outcast, who had lived a very difficult and challenging life, a woman who longed for more. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman, intrigued by this, says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Jesus invites you to eternal life through faith in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees in John 5 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Why is faith in Jesus the key to eternal life. Why is it that we have to come through him to receive eternal life? To understand that, you have to know the truth about the world that we're living in. See, God is the creator, an everlasting God, one outside of time who gave birth to time and created us in his image. Creation was good, life was perfect, there was no pain. There was no sadness. There was no death. What happened is that God's good creation was broken by sin. And I understand of you, some some of you have religious baggage with the word sin, but sin sin is, man, what we hate about the world. Sin is the reason why the world is broken. Whatever it is that you dislike about the world, whatever it is that you dislike about yourself is the result of sin. Sin is the cause of pain and suffering and disease and death. And if it's true that death is a result of sin, in order to conquer death, God had to conquer sin. And we can't experience eternal life as God designed us to, unless we are freed from the effects of sin. That's where God the Father sent his only son. Jesus was born into human history. He conquered death by dying for sin on the cross and being resurrected three days later. And in doing so, he broke the power over death 
for those who believe in him. Jesus offers us hope in death. Jesus offers victory in death. The promise of eternal life for all who trust in him. If you're willing to lose your life and be caught up in his life, if you're willing to die to yourself and find a new life in him, death will not be the end of your story. It will only be the beginning. The invitation to eternal life is to receive Jesus and to believe in him. And as the great theologian and author Dallas Willard once wrote, eternity is now in flight. Eternity is now in flight. Like you can get in on that right now. You're invited into eternal life now by faith in Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. Nothing needs to be added to it. It is the perfect story. It has the perfect motive behind it for God so loved the world. It has the perfect gift that he gave his only son. The only requirement is that you believe in him. And the reward of receiving this invitation by faith is the promise of eternal life. The invitation of eternal life is given by Jesus and it is received by faith. So we've considered the intrigue of eternal life. We've looked at the invitation of eternal life. Let's finish by considering the implication of eternal life. My wife and I, uh, we're both dreamers. Well, uh, no, let me say it this way. My wife's a dreamer, I'm a planner, okay? I don't have a spontaneous bone in my body. Like things kind of need to be methodical and laid out. And one of the exercises that we love to do is this exercise called reverse engineering your life. It's where we, we sit down together and we pick a date in the future. Five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, whatever it is, you pick a date in the future and you, and you try to look at that day with a sense of crystal clear clarity on what you want your life to look like then. Okay? And then you begin to ask yourself questions. What will our health be like? Where will we be financially? What shape will physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy take in our marriage? Who will be our friends? How will we relate to our family? In what ways will we still be growing and learning? Again, there's a lot of questions that you can ask. Those are a few. And then with HD, high definition type detail, we create this vision for what our future is. And then we ask the tough questions, right? What needs to change in our life now so that we can live into that future? Or what do we need now that we do not have? What obstacles are in our way that we need to overcome? How do we need to steward our lives now in light of that vision for our future? Okay, this is just reverse engineering your life. And I encourage you, maybe this summer, take some time to do this, whoever you are. It's a healthy discipline, especially for the planners of the world. When I say the implication of eternal life. Here's what I'm getting at. If eternal life is your secured future, what implications does that have on your life right now? Like if the date you picture is a date in eternity, 
what implications does that have on how you live your life right now? How would that change the way that you wake up tomorrow? How would that change the way that you steward your summer? How would that need to reorient what you're giving yourself to this year? We took a little bit of time in our gospel community on Monday night to kick around this idea. Like if we, if we were to truly live as though eternal life is ours, how would that change the way that we approach life right now? Sarah said, boldness. Boldness. Like eternity matters. And she said, boldness. There's ways now that I give myself over to the fear of man or I'm just kind of tentative. I think, I think if I truly lived in light of eternal life, there'd be a courage in me that comes out more frequently than it currently does. Myron said spiritual disciplines, which I thought was intriguing. I said, tell me more. He's like, I'd read my Bible. I'd pray. I'd fast. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd engage the spiritual disciplines because I want my mind, I want my heart to become acquainted with the things of God. Like, I want to I start experiencing now in this life what that eternal life is going to feel like. I want my, my, my thoughts and my desires to, to line up and, and begin to live into that coming kingdom of God. What implications would it have for your life? Now, I can't answer that question explicitly for you, but I'm fairly confident that it would have a direct impact on how you steward your resources and your relationships. I think living in light of eternity, the implications of that is that it would have a direct impact on the way you steward your resources and your relationships. Here's what I mean. If you're anything like me, so much of how you steward your resources, your time, your talents, your treasures, the things that you have, is determined without much thought given to eternal life. Like I recently turned 40, um, I'm, I'm thinking about 65. I'm thinking about 70, right? Like there, there's a part of me that is like, I want to make sure that when I get there, I'm fairly well prepared. Now, I'm not, don't hear me saying, don't save for retirement, okay? I'm not saying that. Um, but what I am saying is that, man, where, you're, where you give your money, where your resources is going, says something about you. Like you're... you're your bank statements, they don't lie. Money has a way of revealing what you value, what you care about, and what you're living for. So I'm like, man, take a great vacation. Go get it. Like, buy some cool stuff. Tuck some money away into that 401k. But can we also be freed from a false understanding that like, this is the only life we have? Like the things that we chase after now to find joy and satisfaction, like understand this, they are mere shadows of how glorious the future kingdom's gonna be. Like the best vacation is just a small glimpse of what eternity's gonna be. So what would it look like for you to steward your resources in light of eternity? I think that's a question you need to ask. I also think in addition to resources, I think relationships need to be stewarded well. 
if eternal life is a secured future, would that not for you, Christian, in the room, would that not change the way that you prayerfully and purposefully engage with non-Christians in your world? But would it not also change the way that we engage with one another? Like I can be, at times I'm taken back by how mean Christians are to other Christians. I'm not saying in this room, I'm saying kind of in general, like social media gives you a glimpse into some of the brokenness that we experience. But should not eternal life change the way that we pursue fellowship and pursue unity with one another? Like, we're all going to be invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb. Like, we're all going to be invited to this wedding feast in the new heavens and new earth. And I don't think you're going to walk up to the maitre d' and ask him to change the, the seating assignment. Like, you can giggle, but I don't think he's going to do it. So what if we were to now pursue the type of fellowship and unity with one another that when we pull up our chair to that great banquet table, man, whoever's sitting next to us, we're just rejoicing together. There's continuity between the life we're living now and eternal life. What if we were to live in light of it? How would you steward your God-given resources and relationships now if you actually lived with eternity in mind? It should look different than the rest of the world. This theme of eternal life, like I said at the beginning, is arguably the most significant theme, second only to the fact that Jesus is God the Son. Right? The implication you see over and over in the gospel is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you will inherit eternal life. These two things wed together, they're significant. So let me give you permission to be intrigued by the quality of eternal life. Let me give you permission to be intrigued by the quantity of eternal life. Friends, for those of you who have yet to come to Jesus by faith, would you this morning accept the invitation to believe in Jesus that he is the son of God and so receive eternal life. Eternity is now in flight and you can get in on this. And friends, for those of you who know the secure promise of eternal life, don't live merely with the end of this life in mind. That's too short-sighted. Choose today to live your life not with the end in mind, but with eternity in mind. Let's pray together that the Spirit would inspire that type of living. Lord Jesus, would you fill us now in this moment with awe, with gratitude, and joy. Knowing you and knowing the Father is the true essence of eternal life. Would you gift us, expand within us a biblically informed imagination so that we can be intrigued by the eternal life? This great journey of fulfilling our deepest longings for connection and relationships and adventure. Help us to consider and to contemplate these things. 
for those who are in the room who are intrigued by eternal life, reveal to them the truth that you, Jesus, are the only way, the truth and the life. Impress upon them the gravity that only you, King Jesus, could and have conquered sin and death. To know you is eternal life. We believe and we ask that you would help our unbelief. And as we walk out of the doors in a few moments, would you fill us with a courageous kingdom mindset that takes our responsibility as stewards of your world seriously? Where we're short-sighted, would you extend our vision? Where we are tight-fisted, would you open our hands? Where we are selfish, would you make us selfless? And for those in the room who lack confidence in eternal life, would you remind us that you give us eternal life and no one can snatch that gift out of your hands? We pray these things with gratitude for our good and for your glory. Amen.